0: heal the man who was uh, sick of the palsy and uh, but not only did he heal him from his uh, illness from his disease of the palsy but you know the first thing he did of course was to have told him that uh, he would heal free him from the sins so the people while they marveled at the fact that Jesus could heal um, of course they were taken aback by the fact that he was trying to uh, you know, take the place of God. Well, Jesus, of course, defended that. So we we went through that, that there. So Jesus finished with that. At least in the account of Matthew, um, he was uh, he. We're finished with that. You can look in Mark and Luke if you want to get uh, other information about it. But anyway, he's finished with that. We're down to um, let's see, verse nine it says there, and Jesus passed forth from thence. All right, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Um, now, it says he was sitting at the receipt of custom. Uh, what they're talking about there, of course, is the fact that Matthew was collecting taxes. Tax collectors, they didn't just go around and hit up the individual Uh, citizens for taxes, but they, um, they were responsible for receiving, um, port entry taxes, things like that, uh, import-export type taxes. You know, there were, there were several different, uh, types of taxes that were levied. So, you know, one of the ways that, um, that tax collectors would get their jobs was to bid on them. Um, you know, they would go to the Roman government and, um, and they would propose, um, you know, what they would pay to, to the uh, Roman government. Um, and whoever, you know, gave them the best bid, that's who the Roman government contracted with. The, the idea of being a tax collector was not so much an assigned task or, or, or a hiring situation. It was a contracted situation. And so Matthew had uh, made an arrangement with the Roman government to collect taxes and it wasn't just from the Jewish people. It was from anybody that would come to market, you know, or, or was involved, but predominantly it was, uh, Jews. Uh, Matthew was a Jew. And so they, um, entrusted him by contract with the responsibility to collect taxes. They called that the seat of custom because people had to go before the seat of custom to settle their debt with the, uh, with the Roman government. So what's happening here is he was called from the seat of customs to the throne of God. I, I find it very interesting, at least in Matthew, how he, he, he states it. Jesus goes up to him just says, follow me. And he rose and followed him. He just threw it all away. When Jesus came now, you know, whether he had prior information about Jesus or if there was more to the conversation here, um, you know, it's not recorded. But there was something that went on with Matthew that convinced him that Jesus was who he said he was. Um, so he was called from a seat of Roman possession, power, wealth, he had all those things, to give up his job and follow Jesus. Folks, let me just say it pays to serve Jesus. Now, um, you know, I've, I've known different people that, When God called them into ministry, they just dropped what they were doing and went. And more power to them. Um, God called me into ministry, but I never felt the uh, onus, uh, for lack of a better term, to just quit what I was doing. I I saw a need um, for the church that wanted me to pastor and, and, and just in general, by other pastors too, to be by vocational, so I had to work a full-time job and to and pastor the church simply because the church couldn't afford a full-time pastor. You um, know, and, and I had, I had to make a living, so I was willing to do that and pastor a church at the same time. It was just a choice I made. But I t- here's what I did do: um, I had several jobs over the course of my life, and some of the jobs were pretty demanding. Um, And so I remember one job, I was was a truck driver uh, in the moving and storage industry, and it required me to be gone a lot. Well, at the time, I wasn't pastoring a church, but I was a youth pastor. And, And so it was very difficult to plan events and plan on being at the youth meetings and things like that to trying to help the youth. Now, I was making pretty good money, you know, and I loved the job. I loved being out there on the road, you know, I loved the solitude and all that sort of thing. Um, And and some of the things I loved about it is when I was able to be at home, I'd have a few days off, we could do as we pleased. Problem is, I never could predict what those days were gonna be, so it was, we, we couldn't plan things. We just, you know, when I was there, we did whatever we wanted to do and then I'd go back on the road. So after about a year or so of doing that, I finally said, you know what, I can't can't serve God and do this job, too. So I had to quit. I had no choice. Um, I did get another job, you know, that didn't require me to be gone. Um, So I didn't have to just completely leave my secular occupation, but I did have to at least switch jobs. And I did it simply because I felt like I was doing a disservice to what I had been called to do. Folks, let me tell you, as I look back, it, it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. Sometimes it's hard to see, but, you know, what I've experienced in my life is when you face difficulty, especially financial difficulties, and it begins to force you to try and make decisions. Um, you know, I look back about the things that I stressed over and prayed over and stuff, and, and I don't know how they got resolved, but I look back and now I think, oh, how about that? That that problem went away, or this problem went away. You know, so as I look back, you know, I stayed. If I stayed faithful to God, eventually those problems just kind of faded away. So I'm telling you, it pays to serve Jesus. Um, it does not pay to give up joy. That that pays in dollars to follow the King of Kings and to become a joint heir with Him. After all, a, a call to leave the temporal is, is a call to follow the eternal. You know, we have so much more uh, lying in wait for us in our uh, life eternal that uh, it is well worth the price that we have to pay here on this earth to put behind what the world has to offer and to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Moving on, verse 10 it says, And it came to pass that Jesus set meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples, publicans, and he's talking about more tax collectors. And, you know, these going back to the tax collector thing, these people were hated. Um, and, um, you know, they, um, the people couldn't understand, as it goes on here, you'll see why Jesus would associate with them. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? So Jesus just gives them a very straight answer. When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, and "They that be whole, um, they they that be whole, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance." See, Jesus came to reach these very people. How's he going to do that if he's not going to affiliate with them? I mean, the old Jewish tradition was to separate yourself from them. Now, being separated from the world doesn't mean you have to be isolated from the world. That's two totally different things. You know, We have to interact with the world to some degree. We have to build relationships to some degree in order to be able to share the gospel and have them listen to us. So Jesus is associated with sinners the same way a physician is with the sick. Um, not as a partner of the sickness or the disease, but a reliever and a curer of it. I mean, that's, that's what he came to do, to, to alleviate those who are disassociated with from Christ and build a relationship with, uh, with them so that they can come back to him. He wanted to be a reliever and a curer of the sin in which they were involved, the sin that was in their lives. Folks, we all have sin in our lives, and, and it drags us down. But God wants to separate us from that sin. And, you know, even as Christians, we very often want to cling to those sins. And, and sometimes it's difficult to recognize what they really are because they, they kind of disguise themselves. But God wants to, um, God wants to alleviate us from those addictions that we have. Um, His purpose in associating with them was was to seek and to save that which was lost. Then you have the disciples who come to him um, in verse 14. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Now notice this says the disciples of John because John had a following and he, and you see in other accounts about you know what happened with those who were following John and you know didn't had, had didn't have an understanding of the Holy Spirit and so on but that's that's topic for another day. And the point is here you have those who follow John they they had heard the message of repentance but they were still clinging to some of the old ways and this gives you insight into those other passages um because what they're saying here is, is well, you know, we fast all the time. The Pharisees fast all the time. Why aren't your disciples fasting like we're fasting? See, they were depending on a tradition, something they had been raised with. It was it was a, a, a ritual and a formality and, and folks those those are not things that are accepted of God. Doesn't god it's not that God doesn't want us to do those things. He just doesn't he just wants to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons. Um, he's, he's explaining to them that, well, he, you know, in, in verse 15, he says, uh, Then Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. Uh, of course, fasting is a, is a form of denying oneself." And it, you know, helps teach self-discipline and things like that, but it's a sacrifice. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but Jesus says, I'm, I'm a God of mercy, and you need to understand why you do these things. don't just do them because you've been taught to do them. You know, we have things today that are good things, good things we do. Um, you know, because we, we have the ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper, but we don't just do those things because of tradition. We do them because of what they mean, and we do them out of a, a sense of conviction from our heart. One of the big things is going to church. You know, we preach all the time. You need to be faithful to your local church, and, and I believe that. You should be. And all my life, I've been raised in church. You know, when the doors were open, we went to church. That was what we did. And, and i got to admit, you know, if I'm honest with myself, when I miss church, it makes me feel bad, and, and a lot of it may just be because that's what I've been trained to do all my life. But it's a you know, but it, it's it's more than that because if you're trained properly, you're not just trained to go; you're trained as to the reason why you go. And so when you miss, it's not a matter of missing just out of a sense of obligation or habit. Um, you miss because there's a hole in your heart there's something that doesn't get filled there There's something that doesn't happen that should Um, and and, you know as I said fasting and and so on and, and all the things we do these are forms of sacrifice that we do and and Jesus is telling them at the time he's still with the disciples he's traveling with them every day and he's saying look there's no point in them mourning or sacrificing or doing these things right now because they're, they're things of remembrance is what they are. They're supposed to remind us of what Christ has done for us. And he's saying, look, babe, they don't need to be reminded. I'm here. Um, they see me every day. They, they know what I'm about. They know what's going on. So, you know, there's no point in doing that right now. So I don't require it of them, but the day's going to come when I'll be gone, and yeah, then you know, then that'll be a, that'll be a time of, of fasting. That'll that'll be a time when they may be expected to do that sort of thing, and you know, as is would be today, um, we are expected to do the things that remind us of Christ, and so that's why we baptize. That's why we do the Lord's Supper, and and if you fast, and as we all actually should, and. And many of us, um, I'm doing confessing here. I guess personally, um, we don't fast. But it's while it may not be a command, while it may not be an ordinance, it is certainly something that God expects us to do. And quite frankly, we should we should feel very guilty if we're not doing some form of fasting. Uh, there's an awakening that occurs there that uh, is very important for us to recognize. So. Um, You know, because Christ is not with us, these are the days when we we should do that. You know, the day is going to come when none of these ordinances, and even the church itself is not going to be necessary, but right now it is necessary. So it's something that we should definitely uh, incorporate into our lives. All right, that takes us up through uh, verse 15. We'll pick up next time on uh, verse 16. Thank you. God bless.